Hello and welcome to this week's episode of In the Company of Men. My name is Nana Ususetre, I am your host. And for this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the concept of value. What the term value means, how it is that you can apply it, and how it becomes useful to you. So I really hope that you enjoy this one. And without further ado, let's start. So I've been doing quite a lot of reflection about the podcast, the website, my life, and work. And most of the reflection has been around the direction which all of these aspects of my life need to go towards and how they can still deliver what they're supposed to do. And I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. So what I've noticed is that I tend to do this after around every 10 episodes of the podcast. And I also do this every year when it comes to work. And I really feel it's important for me to do these checks once in a while. And I'm basically asking myself, myself and evaluating if... I'm still on track, do I still enjoy doing these things? And most importantly, am I still providing value? And that last question is probably the most important question that that I need to ask myself. And it's also something that all of us need to ask ourselves every once in a while for every endeavor. We are quite good at criticizing other people when it comes to value and whether we're getting our value for money, but we don't often ask ourselves the same question. Taking aside his shady dealings and all-round questionable behavior, the former president of the United States, known as John F. Kennedy, is quite famous for saying this. It's not about what your country can do for you, but you must ask yourself about what you can do for your country. And asking yourself what value you provide is quite a hard question that we only really try to answer when we press for it. I think the last time I remember that kind of question being asked and me having to give an answer was for something like an interview. It's still something, I guess, that you need to know, realize, and also wrap your head around and be more conscious of. And with that being said, it's important to discuss what the word value means. So the Merriam-Webster Dictionary will give you the definition of value as relative worth or importance. The most important words here, since there are only about three, is relative and worth slash importance. And by linking these two words to describe the word value, you get to see that value is subjective, value can change, and value is not equal to everyone. One important thing to note is that value can also be created, and I think that's really the crux of this discussion that we're going to have today. So. I wish I could remember the source of this, but there's an example somewhere online where they look at the price of a 500 ml bottle of water in different situations and environments. And forgive me if I am wrong, but it goes something like this. So scenario one is obviously actually trying to purchase a 500 ml bottle of water at a bottling plant. So since it's at a bottling plant, that's where they make it. That's where obviously where they tap into the water source. A 500 milliliter bottle of water might get, might set you back like a rand, one rand. And that's even if you can't get it for free because that's what they do. I'm sure it's something that you can sort of take off the production line or off the shelf. Scenario two is obviously now, if you look for a bottle of water at a grocery store, um, to be charged around 10 Rand, 10 bucks or less would seem reasonable because you know there are a lot of suppliers. um, So everyone's trying to obviously compete with each other. They are trying to obviously sell you their bottle of water and obviously they've done their ratios and calculations to see what it is that they should charge for a bottle of water. But you shouldn't pay more than 10 Rand for a bottle of water unless you want to drink Valpre or something. So obviously scenario one, as I mentioned, at a bottling plant, you might be able to get water for free. Um, you might be able to get it for a really cheap amount. At a grocery store, obviously, it's a bit more expensive because you're sort of out there in a situation where um, it's not 
it's not a common commodity. Scenario three obviously will be the same 500 ml bottle of water at an airport and that would probably set you back around 20 bucks because at an airport there isn't really a lot of competition. It's either you're gonna get the water, you're not gonna get the water. So they'll definitely set the price a bit higher up because of airport taxes and all those kind of things, but it's not the same as a bottling plant. And scenario four would be buying a bottle of water mid-flight on one of those airlines that does that actually sells you everything. So I can't remember which airline it was where I asked for a bottle of water and actually got asked to present my card for this bottle of water and I think I had opened the bottle of water and I'd already sipped it before the lady came back with the card machine and I was like, well, what's happening here? She's like, well, you've got to pay for the bottle of water and it was something around 30 rand, 30 bucks. So we've obviously gone from a scenario of setting you back, uh, you know, one rand or one buck and then all of a sudden you mid-air and now you have to pay 30 rand because you don't, you don't really have much of an option. Where else are you going to go? And at the end of the day, when it comes to value, the less abundant the resource is, the more valuable it becomes. It's a fundamental principle of supply and demand that drives economics. So sometimes, and in a lot of scenarios, scarcity drives value. And sometimes you can create that by being super skillful at something. But as Naval Ravikant actually mentions in his almanac, no one can beat you at being you. And that's really important. So you create value by following the things that you're naturally good at. The other way for you to provide value is by solving problems that other people cannot solve and solving them better than other people can solve them. I always like to use cell phone companies for this example because a cell phone is something that we all possess. It's actually quite surprising to find that there are more than 100 cell phone manufacturers, some of which I have never even heard of. But at the end of the day, they all try to solve the one basic problem of letting people communicate with each other. And then they add on extra features to the main purpose. But you buy a cell phone for the fact that you need to be able to communicate with someone and everything else comes second, right? And I guess each company tries to solve the same problem the same way while creating value by providing let's say extra features such as slapping on four cameras onto it or adding a unique user interface or by marketing the device as some sort of status symbol. They're all trying to create value around the same problem which is obviously enabling people to communicate with each other. And as mentioned before, the more unique something is, the more valuable it becomes to a certain extent. I would like to highlight that there are sort of dangers on both ends which is becoming too unique as well as becoming too common. Being too unique may sometimes pull you away from the main value that you provide. So let's look at an example of both scenarios and I would like to actually look at the case of Nokia and Apple. So let's start with example one, one which is Nokia. So unless you probably someone born in generation Z, I would assume that you have owned a Nokia or your parents have used Nokia before. So you've seen a Nokia phone. Um, and there's a brief timeline from medium.com of what happened to Nokia, which sort of aims to highlight how they lost their value. And basically a concise timeline of Nokia's important moments are as follows. So in October 1998, Nokia became the best-selling mobile phone brand in the world. Nokia's operating profit went from 1 billion in 1995 to almost 4 billion in 1999. So in a four-year period, they shot up by $3 billion. The best-selling mobile phone of all time, the Nokia 1100, was created in 2003. Four years later, in 2007, Apple introduced the iPhone. And by the end of 2007, 
half of all smartphones sold in the world were Nokia, while Apple's iPhone had a mere 5% of the global market. In 2010, Nokia launched what they called the iPhone killer, but failed to match the competition. The quality of Nokia's high-end phones continued to decline. In just six years, the market value of Nokia declined by about 90%. Nokia's decline accelerated by 2011, and it was acquired by Microsoft in 2013. So I guess you've seen a timeline from 1998, or let's rather say 1999, because that is when it was evaluated to be worth five, $4 billion, which is the most it has ever been at that time. And it comes down to a point where they've lost 90% of what they had uh, in 2013, a period of, what, 14 years. So how did they lose value? So there was a case study conducted by a person called Tim Ovori, uh, who is an assistant professor in strategic management at Alta University and Queen Hui. So that guy, Tim Ovori, is a strategic manager at Alta University, and then he also worked with Q Hui, I am butchering that name, who is a professor of strategy at INSEED Singapore, and they conducted a qualitative study. The results were published in the 2015 paper called Distributed Attention and Shared Emotions in the Innovation Process, How Nokia Lost the Smartphone Battle. The study consisted basically of interviewing 76 Nokia top and middle managers, engineers and external experts, and conducting an in-depth investigation. And in their study, it was reported that, one, at the time Nokia suffered from organizational fear. The organizational fear was grounded in the culture of temperamental leaders and frightened middle managers. The middle managers were scared of telling the truth because they feared being fired. Top managers were afraid of the external environment and not meeting their quarterly targets. Executives were afraid to publicly acknowledge the inferior Symbian, which was Nokia's operating system. They knew it would take several years to develop a better operating system that could compete with Apple's iOS. Top executives were afraid of losing investors, suppliers, and customers if they acknowledged their technical inferiority to Apple. Top managers then intimidated middle managers by accusing them of not being ambitious enough to meet their goals. Top management was lied to by middle managers who felt telling the truth was useless. Top managers lacked technical competence, which influenced how they could assess the technical limitations during goal setting. By comparison, the top engineers at Apple were all engineers. Instead of allocating resources to the achievement of long-term goals such as developing a new operating system, Nokia management, they decided to develop new phone devices for short-term market demand. So in hindsight, which is obviously always easier to look at, these seem obvious, but their reactions seem to be congruent with normal human behavior. When we get exposed and fail to answer the main question, do you still provide value? This is how human beings act. As the study goes to show, the executives at the top lost sight of what it is that they were employed to do, which was to provide value. In summary, they failed to provide value. They failed to reassess the value that they were providing, and they also lost sight of what they were supposed to be doing, which is why it's really important to constantly reassess if you're still providing value. So it's human nature to lose sight of the value we should be delivering, especially when things go so well and we feel that we have made it. The late Marvin Hagler, who will go down as one of the greatest boxers of all time, said, it's tough to get out of bed to do road work at 5 a.m., 
when you've been sleeping in silk pajamas. Ultimately, the motivation to provide value was replaced by the silk sheets of yearly earnings and status. And obviously that's what I'm saying about Nokia. They obviously lost sight of what it is that they were supposed to do. They lost sight of their vision and what made them successful and ultimately failed to innovate in order to keep themselves valuable. It's actually quite scary to think that you may not become valuable but it's not something to be afraid of, but rather something that you need to drive yourself towards. You need to drive yourself towards upskilling yourself and staying relevant and to improve. We have seen this happen to, I think, many companies, but obviously this is one which was really iconic in the space of technology and cell phones. And we often say that it's due to a lack of innovation or market conditions that killed these businesses, but it's their lack of evaluating their value and forgetting about what it is that they were supposed to do in the first place that makes them obsolete. So the second example of obviously, that is one example of not being unique enough and not providing value. But the second example of being, I think, too niche specific or getting to a point where I guess you similarly lose your value by trying to be maybe not too excellent, but being too different is the example of Apple. And it may be a bold statement, but I think that Apple could head in the same direction as Nokia. And it's sad to say this because I'm actually an Apple user. But fortunately enough, I do think that they may be wise enough to listen to the market before they basically implode in the same manner. So similarly to Nokia, Apple has obviously enjoyed major success. But this seems to be going from the Apple that everyone's, which was basically the Apple of everyone's eye, to a business which is money hungry, which also makes decisions that suit them instead of their customer. You know, we all call bullshit in their last scam to not sell charges on their new iPhone 12 series. I have watched videos from Lou later who call them out for their lack of ports on MacBooks, forcing people to buy these dongles and attachments basically in order to get the basic functionality out of their MacBook. They seem to be chasing aesthetics and other factors at the risk of being practical, which is obviously something that is still needed to provide value. And that's a danger of becoming too unique and alienating yourself. In this period of time where Apple obviously pushed the boundaries of innovation to a point where it doesn't become practical anymore, competition is also caught up and their value add that they used to provide can now be found elsewhere, especially when their price point pushes users to look for alternatives within that same price range. In essence, in specializing and becoming too unique, they provide less value to the larger market. This opens up the door for other technology manufacturers to capture those who Apple used to provide value to, but have left behind in their pursuit of other metrics and measures. That's the importance of taking time to step back and ask yourself whether you provide value in certain endeavors that you're in. Let that be your motivation and task for this week to sit down and figure out what's important to you. How do you add value? And also sit back, take a step back and try to figure out what you spend your time on and what you spend your money on and if that also adds value to you. And at the end of the day, we might find that when we reflect that we're not adding value to the things that we do or the things that we're spending our time and money on don't add value to us, but it's okay to lose track. It's okay to lose sight and get distracted. It happens to everyone. It happens to billion dollar companies and it happens to men and women greater than you and I. So at the end of the day, find value in what you can provide, go out and deliver it.